Are you ready to manage your work and personal world better to live a fulfilling, productive life? Then you've come to the right place. Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. Here are your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks. Welcome back, everybody, to Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. I'm Augusto Pinaud. I'm Francis Wade. And I'm Mark Elwicks. Welcome, gentlemen, and welcome to our listeners to this episode of Productivity Cast. Today, we're going to be talking about some fundamentals uh, in the productivity world, and that is note taking. What I'd like us to do today is for us to talk about why we take notes. That is, we around the roundtable here at Productivity Cast, why we take notes, why maybe you should take notes. And then what I'd like for us to do is do a survey, kind of an overview of the top five or so note-taking methods that we know about and or use or have used in the past. And that will hopefully help you get a better understanding about how to take notes better. And so let's start off with why take notes? What is the what is the reason for taking notes? And I will step outside of that answer for just a moment to note that the note-taking space, that is the industry around notes, is roughly a billion-dollar industry and is supposed to grow to about $1.3 billion by 2026. So in just under you know half a decade, we're going to see this explosion of the note-taking software market. This is just in software. We're not even talking about paper planners, which is another multi-billion you know, dollar industry. And it's really interesting to see that note-taking software is so popular, even though note-taking itself is not the most sexy topic that people really think about when they think about productivity. It's just one of those things that kind of rests into the background, but it's something that I think all of us do in some way, shape or form. And I'm curious why you take notes. What was the impetus for you to start taking notes and why do you take notes and what do you take notes of today? Well, for me, it's pretty straightforward. It's because I can't remember everything and it's for the things that I need to remember. And it, when I think about notes, everything goes back to academic note taking. We think about, you know, scholastic note taking and all that lovely note taking we had to do back then. Uh, but it carries forward. And part of the challenge that I run into with notes and note taking and the reason why I'm doing it is now professionally, I do it for reference after the fact. Again, things I can't remember and shouldn't be trying to remember. Secondly, it's for historical record of conversations and activities. And thirdly, and this is where I really struggle with it a little bit, it's to provide context across different sets of notes where discussions happen around different topics that are related to each other or, or similar to be able to go back and revisit those and say, okay, well, wait, maybe there's something else deeper here. But note-taking in and of itself, I have yet to find a way that actually lends itself for that. I mean, there's other methodologies and things, but when you sit there during a call, during a meeting, during a discussion, whatever, and you're just capturing stuff, you have to commit yourself to the fact that later on, you're either going to have to go back and rewrite this and reorganize it, or it's just going to sit there in a notebook or in a file or in the cloud somewhere, and you're probably never going to do anything with it. And I think that's one of the number one reasons why you would structure notes in and with a method so that you're able to actually identify what it is that is useful in and during some event that forces you to take notes, whether that event is solo or with others. I think so. Also, I mean, the one thing I didn't call out there is a lot of times you take notes for other people. You take notes to share with other individuals. And that's almost even harder because your structure and their structure may be completely unrelated. So they look at your notes and they go, what the heck is this mess? Oh. 
but you realize that you have all the context and the information you need. It's just the approach and how you visualize it is different. Now that you mentioned that, I really feel bad for whoever need to look at my notes and <laughs> use them as a reference. <laughs> That's it. For me, notes is a similar, you know, it is my way to make sure that I understand what was discussed and more importantly for me, what are the projects and actions that come in out of that discussion? Uh, you know, as, as Art said, my, my memory can't remember that. Not only that, I learned many years ago that the mind is great for certain things, but not for that. So notes for me has, has a simple process and it's a way to remember. And I use markers through my notes. So that way, sometimes just the fact that I took the notes is enough and I don't need to go back other than to pull actions away. So I make sure that I mark. I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of the Cornell method. So that way I could pull actions out of that. If I am doing it by myself, then they used to be mind maps. And then the mind maps, same thing. I mark easily for me to just look without need, the need of reading. I know what are the places that I need to go to pull them from. I think of note-taking in sort of falling in three different buckets. One is for prospective memory, which is essentially next, next actions, time demands, tasks, things that I need to do in the future. And I treat those very differently than I do notes that are for prospective memory, um, retrospective memory, sorry, which is stuff that I'm trying to remember and not forget versus stuff that came into my awareness. I have no chance of remembering, but I need to retrieve at a later point. So I'm not trying to retrieve to remember. I'm actually storing it so that I can forget. Forget in the sense that I, I, I can't, I, I don't want to be able to retrieve it. I just want it to be available. So those three, those three notes may be mixed into the same page, but they're doing three different jobs in, from, in my mind, and I treat them differently. I'll say that I started out my academic world with the idea that I didn't need to take notes. I really felt as though I was against the, the topic as a, as, a, as a youth, purely because I, I, I was brought up in, in the mindset that you know, you're smart and smart kids don't work hard. Uh, you should not need to work hard. And it was actually a really terrible cultural component. I think it still is. You know, when you tell children who are who are brighter than average that they're smart, uh, it tells them not to work hard. And so I would go through all kinds of sessions in school, and I would not take notes purely because I thought that I had to pay close attention. And only by paying close attention was I going to be able to recall everything. And remarkably, I just happened to have a very good memory. And so for many years that served me and then scholastic duties expanded and that started to fail. So I got my trapper keeper out and decided to uh, use the note, uh, you know, the, the notebook in it uh, for purposes of taking notes. And that's when I really started to feel like, wow, this is so simple. If I just take notes, then I can reference them again. And nobody cared. Nobody cared that I was taking notes. It wasn't like Johnny over my shoulder saying, oh, Raymond's taking notes. Uh, nobody cared. And you know that was uh, for some reason there was this cultural component I, I just that i that i understood at a very young age and uh, for some reason that made me not take notes and going into the place where then i started to take notes i recognized the value from that very early age of that just that one twist of saying wait i'm i'm not capable of remembering everything that's happening in in class i can't remember all these assignments the teachers telling me there's a point where i think probably in probably fifth or sixth grade moving from uh, elementary school to junior high school. And that's the way the New York school systems work. I 
I moved from the teacher giving you all of your assignments in writing to take home to then you having to take it down and uh, and manage that yourself. And I think that was the point where I started to feel that friction and realize the value of of taking taking notes, writing things down. And I think ever since then, I've been a fan of all things note-taking. And I think that's why you take notes is because of all the things you talked about, both perspective memory and retrospective memory, the idea that you want to be able to remember things and you want to be able to remember them both for historical purposes, for archival and reference purposes, but also because you want to be able to plan what's going to happen. You want to know what's going to happen and make that more likely. You can't make that more likely if you don't remember. So I think that's the the plain reasons, the very, you know, kind of practical reasons behind it. How about retrieval though? Because there's, I'm sure you guys have had this experience where you took a, took note of something and you stored it. And then years later, or maybe days for some of us, you go back to the notes and you're like, who wrote this? And it looks like totally brand new to you. You've never, there's nothing that jogs even, uh, oh yeah. And you, you read through it and it's like, I have no idea either who wrote this or where this came from. And I'm glad it's here. So there's that kind of retrieval, which is so effective that it vanishes from our memory. And it's as if it never existed. That's really useful, I think. That was the one biggest change I made. And, in, and it didn't happen till I want to say about seven or eight years ago about my own note taking. When I stopped taking notes for myself and started taking notes for somebody who wasn't there, that's the mindset I had to change. So if somebody wasn't, if I'm taking notes for a meeting, I frame myself and say, okay, if I have to give these notes to somebody else who was not present in that meeting and did not have that memory content, what's the value they're going to get? Because I realized at a certain point, my brain is going to go, you weren't there, even though you were, your brain's going to, no, you weren't there. You don't remember any of this. And you treat it as if it were new content. That has made a huge difference in my notes. However, it has also made my notes much more detailed and much more voluminous in quantity. It forces me to write a lot more content because I'm not going to say, oh yeah, I know what that means. You know, I know what that piece ties to. I can assume that I'm not going to have that recall. So I, I, broaden it out quite a bit more. It's not a bad thing. It's just, it's a thing. And it's helped me quite a bit to think about somebody else who would need to reference this. And I've carried that over not only pref or professionally, but personally. When I start to write things for, you know, put in my lockbox so that I have reference for it later on, I write it for somebody who's going to not be me to read it. Because if I read it, oh, that's really easy. Not a problem. I totally get it. Somebody else, at least they have a better starting place. You know, it, it is interesting because handwritten notes and, and, and this made me thought about this. You know, I the first electronic device that was mine was a Casio and you open it and, and it has a little keyboard and a little screen and it didn't have backup. It wasn't that great. <laughs> but that was the first device I had before the Pan Pilot. And I remember the reason for me to upgrade to the Pan Pilot was that backup possibility because for me, non-searchable notes, I don't care how beautiful the notebooks are, those don't work because I can't retrieve the notes. I My memory, doesn't work to think, oh, when is that I take that notes? That will never happen. Okay. That, that ship left before that ship never arrived. So this searchable component was really, really important. That was what made me for years not take handwritten notes because the technology did not allow searching that. When Evernote came out was the first technology that I remember that allows to find or do a lot of the search in that, that it was incredible at that time. But that is a really interesting point that you make. I don't think 
my notes to this day are meant for anybody other than than me to look but it, but it's a really interesting perspective because as as a person who takes a lot of notes for for different things in meetings and stuff i'm going to to make the note to start trying okay what if i need to to show or share these notes with somebody because mine are full of things that i understand from an outside person will make no sense at all yeah i have a clear delineation between notes that i take for myself and those that I take for others. And it's usually very different style. So for example, in my own notes, when I'm writing for myself, there are sentence fragments, there are terms, I'm frequently identifying affect. It's an attention focusing mechanism. I wanna be able to stay focused on the content of the meeting. And so I will frequently identify what's going on, what's being said to me and why it's being said to me. And that's, not really for future purposes, it's for present focus. And then anytime someone triggers me for something like thoughts or otherwise, I try to actually remind myself about what I'm saying to them. Many times it's something that I tell people all the time. And so I will just note what that thing is, right? Like, oh, it's the S7 framework. I just, I just explained the S7 framework to them done. Right. And that term anchors for me, everything I said at that point. So that I can go back and if everyone, anyone, anytime they're like, okay, did, did, what did we explain to them? I can say, oh, okay, I explained this piece to them. I explained that piece to them. And then there'll be like new ideas. Like if I've had a creative idea in the system, then I use a signifier as Augusto noted earlier, you know, using a marker of some kind to identify things. I have a little identifier so that I know that this was a new idea for me. And therefore to go back to it and capture it into my system as a new thought, a new thing. Because uh, sometimes you know, I'm talking about some methodology and then I have what I believe is a brilliant idea. <laughs> and I want to take that idea and go put that someplace else so I can do either further research on it, validate it and see if it's useful for something else. That's actually the most useful component for me when I'm taking notes for myself. It's very infrequently for me to go back and reference for the future because it's they're not things that where I'm typically learning in that environment. Now, if I'm in an environment where I am a passenger, right? I'm a I'm a viewer, say I'm in a webinar or some kind of training, then that's where I will take probably more copious notes where I'll actually start to do more typing than not and try to actually write in full sentences. And frequently, since now I'm I'm taking most of my notes in a in a virtual environment, I'm taking a lot of screenshots. I find myself in essence grabbing screenshots because there's a slide up on the screen. I can then start to annotate that particular slide and I do a lot of online courses, so I'm always taking online courses, so I'm screenshotting there. If I'm in person, then it depends on whether I'm capable of audio recording the session. I used to use a LiveScribe smart pen, so it took audio for everything that was said in the meeting. Uh, sometimes I will record with my, my phone. I'll just turn on the audio just so that I'm able to reference back to what was being said against my own notes, especially if I'm learning in that environment. You know, it's just really important for me to do that. I don't really keep the audio into perpetuity. It's just literally for me to be able to fill in the gaps of my notes, and then I'll usually get rid of the audio because it's really not useful um, beyond that. And that's my thoughts on it. It's like there's a tracking and then there's an action, like I generated an idea or there's something that will need to be done in the future. And then 
there is the learning environment, whether it's academic or you're just in an environment where you're learning something new. Uh, say you're in a meeting where you have a salesperson who's teaching you about a new product or service or something like that, that they want to do. You want to understand what they're saying to you and be able to reference that back as you make a choice as to whether or not to purchase that service or product. And so I will try to do as much to capture as much in that environment as possible, including recording, because that can be a useful way of capturing the data that you didn't capture while you were there. For example, many times when I'm in meetings, my emotional state is fairly level because I'm trying to capture data. So I don't capture potentially like the tone or, you know, like someone's voice in the meeting may have been very negative towards something. And I won't capture that until listening back to it. And I'll, I'll, I'll be like, oh, you know what? So-and-so really didn't like <laughs> this mm -hmm. person or this particular product feature. And I wouldn't have known that until I listened back because I was too busy dealing with the details. And so my I, I single focus in that way. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting that you call those kinds of things out because those are not things that people normally think about with note-taking. I mean, I find I do similar things. I, hearkening back to our previous episode about tagging. Um, that's one of the things I do quite a bit when I go through and I take notes. I will tag things around specific context, for example, new idea or blog article so that I can go back and pull those things out without having to try to remember, oh, I had an idea for a blog article. But the other part, you're absolutely right, is personal observations. I actually do two things within my notes. I'll either put something into italics to indicate it's my thinking, not somebody else's, not, not a piece of contextual reference. Or if I have a feeling that I'm going to have a bunch of those thoughts, I wind up creating a section in the notes for observations. And I do that explicitly so that if I have to share those notes with somebody, I can just pull that section off and send the rest along because they're my own observations. You know, if, if I thought somebody was being a knucklehead that day, I may put that in my own note. But that's not something that needs to be shared. So those those mechanism pieces you won't find defined in any of these methodology. I mean, you you won't see an illustration for that. But it becomes a critical part of your capture and your process and how you work through just the information of something and what you're going to do with. It. I've found more improvement in my note taking by focusing on my personal note taking than I have on my professional. Professional is easy enough. I mean, you take notes, you share them. Fine. But the personal one's tough because you don't normally do personal note taking. You know, if you're working on things like trying to figure out a you know new car insurance policy, for example, you know, what notes are you going to take? But you may take notes on that entire process. And if you do, then when you go back later on, you realize, oh, wait, you know, I could use this approach when I try to identify my life insurance. You know, it it gives us that it can become an internal narrative that almost at times starts to blur its line into, I don't want to say blur into journaling, but almost to that mindset of giving yourself a place to talk through what you're hearing, what you're seeing, what you're reading, and, and its relevance for yourself and have that internal discussion. It's changed my way of handling it. It's by far from perfect. It's still a mess, but at least it gives me some contextual ways to go back and say, all right, I, I need to come up with a blog article idea. Let me, let me grab everything that I tagged as blog articles and look at and think about that and allow my brain to then treat that as new content. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is we look at our notes and we think that we're reviewing old content, but actually it's new because it's not the same content. It's our interpretation thereof, unless we're just screenshotting or, you know, photostatting or cutting and pasting. It's our take on what we just had, or at least it should. Be. It's, it's an interesting exercise. I think, I think note-taking is a, is a, for me, a pattern recognizing tool 
as mm-hmm. much as it is a focusing tool for me. And so I will frequently try to understand the patterns of the people I'm meeting with. And so if I'm meeting with people on a regular basis, I'm taking notes and I'm trying to determine really what I'm learning about them as much as I'm learning about what we're discussing in the meeting. And Mm -hmm. that's really helpful for me, especially if it's the same client over and over again. Uh, And that's where I take most of my notes is in client meetings. And if a client is really not interested in utilizing a particular type of technology, then I will take note of that each time Mm -hmm. they, they share that information. And that will tell me two things. One, whether or not I need to let up on it right? Take my foot off the accelerator there, or whether I need to put my foot down harder on the accelerator there, because I know it's important for them. You know, many Mm -hmm. times I'm having to make recommendations for technology. And if they reject that technology and they need it, that's different than, no, I just like them to use it. And it'd be great if they did, but if Mm -hmm. they didn't, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Okay. So I can hit the brakes on that. But if they really need that technology, then I need to figure out a better, more persuasive way to get them to utilize that technology. And that pattern really helps me going forward. Everybody's situation is different, but I think it's re- I think it's really useful being able to look at patterns as you see them mm-hmm. occur. And that's only by virtue of capturing the data as it's happening. And the other side is to reflect on that data in some way, shape, or form. And I review my notes for every week during my weekly review. So I'm looking mm-hmm. at those notes each week. And there are different ways in which you can do that. You know, it's just like looking at your journal once a month or whatever you look at your journal, you see patterns in what you've written and that helps you understand why you've written it and really how you work. It's the same thing with notes, just in Mm -hmm. a more, you know, potentially professional work school context. Any other thoughts about why we should take notes? I mean, there's, there's tons of reasons to take them. I'm more challenged with people's reasons to not take because you get, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you know, there's this perception of sitting there scribbling. I've literally seen people get bent out of shape in meetings because other people in the meeting are paying attention to capturing the notes of what's being said rather than paying attention to the speaker. And I'm like, do you want me to remember what you're saying or not? You know, that's, that's kind of a, a dichotomy there. It's tough, but I say it's tough, but it's really not that tough because we we've learned it's just scale and scope and understand that notes are one of those things like tasks, like calendar entries that are basic mechanical parts of being productive. You have to take note. You have to write tasks down. You have to have schedule light. You can't be productive without those because there's too much of a downside. So dedicating time to constantly refining and improving your note-taking skills is probably one of the best things that you can do across the board, not only professionally, but personally. Okay. So we have talked a lot about the situation where we, we've really I've written a love letter to note-taking. Where should we not take notes? And I'll give my first kind of reasoning for not taking notes in any given environment, which is that when you have a meeting scribe, so if there is a meeting scribe who is present and available and taking notes for the meeting in a very formal setting, say a board meeting where you have the executive board together and your job is to be fully present and it is as much pomp and circumstance as it is a functioning meeting. I would say that taking copious notes, notes that notes that I take, which are involved in my my head is usually down, not looking up. Uh, you know that ends up detracting from the the performance of being a board member, and so therefore you have to kind of deal with the the issues of being present for say an annual meeting 
and that one time when people are kind of seeing you and your face and experiencing you versus you capturing some note. And usually those meetings are now recorded. They have a, a, a meeting scribe and a parliamentarian, and there is a clear formal structure to the meeting. I think in those situations, taking notes may not be the best for you. It depends on the size of the board. It depends on the, the context of the meeting. It may be infor more informal, but I've just found that in those formal settings, taking notes for me has actually detracted from the overall uh, social professional experience. Mm -hmm. What are some other circumstances where do you agree or disagree? And are there other circumstances where taking notes may not be useful? I agree with that one to a certain degree. I think in those circumstances, I would still take some of my own notes, but they would have no relevance or no specific impact on the, the official record. I try to do the like the looking up and taking notes thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's, <laughs> you my, wind up with a mess. Yeah, my, my, I never know what I wrote afterward. <laughs> For me, it's... That's how I take notes. I say, I will be happy to share my notes with you guys. <laughs> taking For me, taking notes that don't expand or increase my understanding of what I'm recording is unnecessary. So for example, going through and highlighting a bunch of sections in a book, but then never going through and taking notes on what those actually mean, what's the context, how they correlate. That's to me, that's unnecessary notes because I'm not adding value and that notes must add value in my mind. And if, if they're not going to, if it's just a capture, then the heck with it. I'm just wasting time. It caught my mind, my attention when you mentioned it earlier, Ray, you said you called effective notes in the sense that you're capturing the affect of what's happening in the meeting. So I'm curious to, to know, is there a, a systematic way to captured not the here's what said here's what decisions were made here's what next actions are but here's the environment the mood the the hostile look that this person gave someone else or the feeling of discomfort is there any way you guys know of to capture kind of the the emotional space of a meeting i've never seen anything so i'm Curious. Since I've been seeing more and more recorded meetings being transcribed, for example, you know, I'm, I'm working with a company right now and all meetings are recorded and transcribed. So all meetings. Uh, and it's really unique because seeing all of the transcripts of every meeting across every group of people, whether I'm in the meeting or not, I can literally read the historical record of everything that's happening, which also means that you can start to identify positive and negative affect of the people in the, in the meetings by virtue of just, you know, a semantic search. That is one way. Of course, you're not capturing, well, technically in this particular meeting environment, it is being video recorded also. So you could potentially do machine learning on that to identify facial expressions as well as physical manner, those kinds of things to see whether or not those are are representing people's emotional states. The, the problem with that though, is as being someone who does a lot of training and I'm in front of crowds and I see their faces and how people interact, people are so different. I have the, I, I have what I call the angry interested face from attendees in my workshops. And there's always that one person where I've done the entire workshop. We've been together for seven hours. And all I think is that person's angry and pissed off at me. Uh, and then they come up afterward and they're just elated. They're, they're like, this was such an interesting, amazing, you know, I learned so much. And all I could think of was, why did you have that face the entire time then? 
<laughs> there's a name for that you can google so I, I i want to keep our rating where it is but there's a name for that yes the resting bee face yeah uh, but uh but the but the reality is is that from my perspective you just never know what's going on inside a person even though potentially their outside is showing something different and that's something that i don't think technology has quite yet figured out, uh, which is that humans are weird creatures. A trick I used to do back in my pre-sale days when I was helping sales guys out is if I was going to be on a call with a client, I would make a list, you know, one through whatever of all the people who were going to be in the meeting in my notes. And then as we were going through the presentation and getting questions, if I got a negative response from somebody next to that note, I would put in the number of that person's name and either a plus or a minus what their reaction is. And then if for no other reason at the end, I could then go back and see, did I have a bunch of reactions from a person? And was there a trend around their reaction? Was there a trend around multiple reactions around the, a topic? It's easier with a canned presentation type because you knew you knew what the steps were coming rather than an open discussion because then you're always kind of on your back foot. But I found if that's an, an important thing that you need to be able to do, that's an easy trick to do. At least it gives you some sort of a starting context that you can work into it. But again, that's tagging. I hate to say it, but that's tagging. You're tagging with a person and a, and a uh, sentiment at that point. So, And I found that actually tracking my own affect is more useful than tracking other people's. It's just a factor of my ability to understand what information in a meeting is useful and interesting to me. And mm -hmm. if I find it not useful to me, then that's okay. But if the information was useful and I found it not interesting, then why? And not all information that's useful is interesting. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was the presenter was boring. Maybe it was presented with the wrong analogy, right? Someone tried to use a, you know, an airplane analogy when they really should have used a car analogy. And it's just like, oh Christ, can we, can we get this right guys? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um, and, you know, it's just any number of things where I see, I see poor presentation all the time. And it's just a, a mm -hmm. fact of the matter of being a professional presenter. I'm used to I'm used to critiquing what's going on around me, and so I have to turn that off to some as best as I can. Turn that off when I am myself in the audience, and it's incredibly difficult. So I I spend actually quite a bit of my my emotional energy trying to make sure that I'm aware of that so that I can turn it off as I'm listening. So yeah, I think I think it's good to, to track other people's affect for any number mm -hmm. of good reasons. I just know my own reason for tracking. Yeah, I'll often, and this will, this will be application specific, um, when I'm taking notes in OneNote, I'll have a text box with all the notes that I'm taking, the actual notes I'm taking. And then next to it, I have a text box just from my own brain, you know, soapbox moments. If, if I have a moment of like, what the heck are they talking about? Why are they so clueless? I'll put it into that little box because there may be value to that sentiment afterwards. There may not. And I just delete that little box, but at least it gets it out of my head. And that's part of that internal narrative and conversation that happens that helps me keep things moving forward. Otherwise, I just sit and fester on those things. And it's like, why, why are these notes making me angry? Well, it's because this was why. So. You, you trigger a really important feature of my note taking, which is that if it is in a live environment, I am frequently writing down questions I have for the people around me. Mm -hmm. So that as we're having the conversation, if there's a question that I don't know the answer to, I'm asking that question in writing because I may not get the floor to ask the question mm -hmm. of the group and I may not need the group to find that answer. So say somebody references some weird disease, some medical condition, it would otherwise distract mm -hmm. me thinking about like, what is that? That's interesting. Let me go to Wikipedia and look that up. Mm -hmm. And of course... <laughs> 
the goal is to stay focused in the meeting. So I will say, what is whatever, triskaidekaphobia, right? Which is the mm -hmm. fear of the number 13. Uh, and so like, I'll write that down. What is triskaidekaphobia? And then, you know, now I can go back to the meeting and not lose track of things because mm -hmm. of my curiosity. But it also means that if I do have a question for someone, I will write, you know, Bill, colon, what did you mean by this when you said that? Mm -hmm. And that way, the next time I do have the floor, I can say, oh, by the way, Bill, what did you mean by this? I really don't understand that component. Can we get further clarification on that? And so I'm doing two levels of tracking conversation in that environment, which could also include what questions do I want to ask of a presenter when all is said and done? Right? We get mm -hmm. to get done with a lecture or a seminar, and I do have questions for that, that person, which ones are worth asking because you may not be able to ask all your questions. And so frequently I will then, I use exclamation points as my prioritization of things. And so I will scan through. And if if there's one question mark, that's more important, uh, that's important. Two question marks is more important and three question, three exclamation points, sorry, exclamation points. Uh, so one, two, and three, it's just basically a prioritization. If I can only ask one question, then I will choose the one that has three question three exclamation points mm -hmm. over the one that has two versus one that has one. And those are just really, really helpful for me to be able to know that I have those signifiers in my system to be able to track. All right, gentlemen, this has been a lot of fun and I hope you all get something valuable out of listening to our kind of our reasons for taking notes and we will have future episodes where we talk about note-taking methodologies and all kinds of note-taking software and all kinds of other things like that. So we're looking forward to doing that. And so we are at the end of our discussion for this topic, but it doesn't mean the conversation has to stop here. If you have a question or a comment about what we've discussed today, feel free to visit our episode page on productivitycast.net. So you can find that by going to productivitycast.net forward slash, and then the three digit episode number. So 001, 002, 003, and so on are the episode numbers. You could just put the forward slash and that three digit number that will take you over to the episode page for that episode. There on that page, you'll find our show notes links to anything we discussed, and a text transcript and a PDF transcript. So the text transcript is on the page. If you're listening, you can read along, but you can also download it in PDF. But also at, on that page, you can leave a comment or a question for us to be able to read and respond to. Feel free to uh, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast if you already haven't done so. If you are on productivitycast.net, just click on subscribe and you'll see the instructions for, be able, for being able to do so. And you're also capable of uh, leaving a rating or response in Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and whatever podcast app you choose, uh, feel free to do that. And when you do, uh, of course, the compliments are complimentary. Thank you. Uh, but it really helps to broaden our personal productivity listening community. And so thank you for doing that. I want to express my thanks to Augusta Pinaud, Francis Wade, and Art Gelwicks for joining me here on Productivity Cast each week. You can learn more about them and their work by visiting productivitycast.net as well. And with that, I'm Ray Sidney Smith. And on behalf of all of us here at Productivity Cast, here's to your productive life. That's it for this Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity, with your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks.